my back already hurts and we're like a minute into this hello and welcome to the better the bookshelf podcast episode 56 in this episode we are talking about jillian flynn's sharp objects i am ryan and with me is my good buddy and fellow host jacob Yes, hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, our little book club, book cult, book something or other, episode 56, Sharp Objects by Gillian Flynn, I believe is how it's pronounced. Yeah, not Jillian, Gillian. Wow. All right. But anyway, we made it. We made it. Episode 56. For those who are avid followers of uh, the podcast, they'll realize, man, this episode's a little late. And uh, we've got some stories behind that, and we've got some stories about you know what's coming up in the next uh, few with us as well, because things are going to be kind of crazy hectic. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll we'll save that for the end of the episode. But hi, Ryan. It's been a sec. It has been a second, uh, and we're remote, but even more remote than normal. Super crazy remote. I don't think either of us have our normal setups at the moment. No. But. Hopefully this comes through. I, you know, I can't hear the audio now, so we're just gonna wing it. We're not gonna do a double take or go back or any of this stuff. So if it literally sounds like butt cheeks for all you guys at home, <laughs> we're sorry. We love you, but for the most part, this will be a, a a relatively standard episode. At least yeah. half of it will be a relatively standard episode. We'll tell you a little bit about the author Gillian Flynn. Uh, I'll give you a brief summary, a very brief. I rolled that beat. I so love hard that because that's that's brief. how brief it is. You don't see a lot of B's get rolled, right? No. A lot of N's, L's, no B's. Um, Wait, of course, we'll get into how it. How do you roll an N? Uh, it's like a, in Spanish when you have a tilde. It's kind of like an inya, inya. Yeah, I mean, it's not, not like, really. Nr. I was it's like, not like, nr. it's like a chewy. That's that's how you roll an N. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, that's kind of a roll. Beg that feels beg like a kind of a roll, but we'll, we'll roll okay. with it. Well, well, we're not linguistics you know, <laughs> professors here, so we'll just have to defer that to experts. If you're at home and you're a linguistics expert, hit us up. Let us know uh, what letters are appropriate to be rolled <laughs> in most uh, languages around the world. But yeah, we'll tell you a little bit about the author. We'll give you a brief summary. We'll get into the meat of the book as we know it. This is, I think, is going to be a pretty quick, uh, uh, pretty quick rundown in this book because we did kind of want to get away a little bit from from the last few episodes that we've had where it's been very heavy on the sort of interpersonal tie-ins with kind of our own uh, world around us now, whereas this is just kind of a book to read and enjoy and to sort of take the story for what it is. And then, of course, we'll get to our three-tier patented, customized, I don't even remember what I'm supposed to say here, four if we're getting rid of it. No, three if we're getting, wait, no, four if we're getting rid of it. Yes, four <laughs> Five. if we're getting rid of it. Five, if we're going to rip its teeth out to make our dollhouses. Six, if we're just going to drown it in a tub or something. And then, of course, we'll tell you what we got coming up on the next episode, which is going to be, again, kind of a fun little relaxing. I'm not I I don't dare say bullshit episode because I don't think we've done any bullshit episodes. But Uh, if there's one that's coming close to being categorized as a bullshit episode. Yeah, this probably is there. So. I would contend that the Christmas uh, Christmas episode uh, is is bullshit, but that's just me. Yeah, but it's Christmas. I think it's I think that's asking a lot for us to work 
on or around or near or within the sphere of time of Christmas. That's, mean, just, that's fair. That's fair. It's asking way too much of me to get up and like come to my garage and record. So, so this is the part of the intro where I say, if you haven't read the book, go read the book because it's weird to listen to a podcast about a book you haven't read. And that is still true. 56 episodes in, 52-ish books in, you should still read the book before you listen to a book podcast about it. And this was this was a pretty quick read too. Yeah, I don't, I, I, this one, you know, I didn't spend a whole lot of time breaking down everything, so I, I think I like churned through this in about two sittings, maybe. You know, six months ago or however long ago it yeah. was that we <laughs> in actually got through forty-two. So. But yeah, quick read. So go go check out the book, then come back and listen. Absolutely. All right, let's uh, let's talk about Gillian, not Jillian, uh, Flynn. Yeah. Uh, she was born in 1971. She is a fellow American. Uh, she's published three novels, uh, Sharp Objects uh, being her debut novel, followed by Dark Places and Gone Girl, which uh, was obviously her most acclaimed book and was uh, adapted for film. But all three of her books have been adapted for film or television. Uh she has also been involved in the uh, in the screenwriting of, uh, of all of that. She won and or was nominated for a ton of awards related uh, to the screenplay for Gone Girl uh, back in 2014. And uh, she has an Edgar Award um, from 2015 for a short story called The Grown Up. She's done a lot of stuff, but it's all revolved around those three books. Yeah, I mean she's 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 only put out you know a few, but she came out the gates fire, and this was her first one, and it's uh, you know she's seemingly hit hit pretty well. She's got a pretty good hit rate on her books so far in terms of uh, I guess finding mainstream success and uh, getting that sweet sweet adaptation. For sure. Have you seen Gone Girl the movie? I saw the movie. Yes. Okay. Um, and I've like, you know, as far as this Sharp Objects was a miniseries that they did on HBO, much uh-huh. like um, The Outsider, mm-hmm. which was a book we did. But uh, I've heard really good things about that. Never saw that, though. You would think in the extra however many weeks I would have taken a look at that. But no. But uh, again, hear good things. I, I did see Gone Girl. Have you seen Gone Girl? No, the... no, I have not. That is. And you're not, are, are you familiar at all with the story? No, none. I assume a girl goes gone. I mean, more or less, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's a it was an interesting movie. Not exactly my favorite. Okay. Um, I would be interested to read the book to see kind of what the uh, what the difference is there. Maybe just sort of getting from that source material. But one of the interesting things about Gone Girl, this is like completely unrelated to anything. As I remember, um, Sarah, she had she loves watching this uh, this gal on YouTube that does all sorts of like true crime mystery things stuff Mm -hmm. yeah there was one where it was kind of the parallels between the book gone girl and the i guess it was like the lacey peterson case where there was a lot of Mm. like a weird kind of parallels between um the book in that case and not that it was like um that flynn used it as source material or anything but there was just a lot of weird coincidences that kind of like occurred between the case and the book which led to a lot of people because essentially Spoiler alert for you. Uh, at the end of Gone Girl, the the whole premise is they think that this man has killed his wife, and, and so they're kind of, like, figuring that out. And at the end, it turns out he didn't. Um, whereas in the, I guess it was the Scott and Lacey Peterson case, oh, he definitely did. He killed yeah. his wife and his unborn kid. And so a lot of people were like, oh, 
you know, they had mistakenly associated Gone Girl, the book, as kind of like with that case. And oh, interesting. thought that perhaps he had like been framed or something when the reality was, was no, he definitely killed his wife and uh, his unborn child. So awful person. Yeah. But yeah, there you go. There's a little, there's a little nugget of stuff that knowledge to just interject in there. So yeah, I've never, never seen that. I know it was a thing several years ago. And uh matter of fact, when I went to uh half price, um, which was the, I think the only time during the Corona period, I physically entered half price books, uh, which was super weird because there was like no chairs, no like, you know, stuff you could touch, and like it was just very empty. But uh, when was I was the big one, yeah, the, the, big the mother, the, yeah, the mothership. And uh, gotcha. when I went to go find this book, I, there, I swear to goodness, must have been two shelves of just Gone Girl books. It was Gone insane. Yeah. It was insane. So I know, I know, it was a thing. Uh, that's that's about the extent of it. Um, can you summarize Sharp Objects for us, though? Yes, I can as briefly as possible. Sharp objects. It's a story about people and objects that are sharp. No, um, it's a story about our, our protag Camille as she's sent back to her hometown uh, to investigate murders, but also to investigate the trauma that she suffered, you know, there as a child at the hands of her mother, amongst other things. So, Amongst other things. Amongst other things. If I had to summarize this book in like one word or just use one word to kind of describe the overarching themes or sort of the overarching everything just summarize everything in this book Mm -hmm. one word my word would be trauma what would your word be Mm. no pressure you just got to think of a word on the fly obvious Obvious? Yeah. Okay. So where do we want to start on this thing? Do you want to start with the end? Do you want to start with the, I guess, twist? Can we call it a twist? I I mean, I agree that I I don't think there was anything in this book that caught me terribly by surprise, despite the fact that I guess you could classify there being several twisty elements or at least several unexpected, I suppose, things at the end. Mm Mm-hmm. Is the end? Should we? Is the end where we begin? Yeah, I mean, I, okay. I think we're, we're just going to dance around it if we don't just address it head on. Okay. So, okay. I mean, obviously, it was created to be a twist. You know, she takes Camille takes in Ama after Adora is uh, accused of murdering the the girls in the town. Right? Things seem to be mm-hmm. going well. Then they go to hell and you know, whatever, whatever. And we find out that actually it's Ama that murdered the the two girls recently. Um, and that's supposed to be like the, the whole shock of the book. Um, I mean, I saw it coming just from the way that the, that she wrote Ama in the very beginning, like no reasonable girl behaves that way. It was very clear, at least to me that this girl had some very like, weird stuff going on yeah Uh, like full-blown like sociopathic type behaviors that existed that you're just going huh oh you know i guess as you're reading it like you said you're supposed to think that it's like oh this is kind of like a 
you know, she's suffering abuse like Camille did. And, you know, yeah. whereas Camille very much like took it out on herself physically, like maybe Amma's sort of just responding with this like, you know, personality divergence that creates sort of a, uh, I don't know, just this like semi-sociopathic kind of like uncaring sort of approach. But the reality of it is, is you go, okay, well, yeah, everything she's doing is odd. And it's like, it's not blatantly odd that you're like directed as like, oh, well, maybe she could have done it. But the whole time, I I don't know if it's just in general, like I, I feel like I've just been this this device is used a lot the whole, the, yeah. the sort of like bait and switch at the end in type in like who done it type of stories yep. i feel like that's if it's done right it can be done like it can be amazing and and really good and like oh wow i didn't expect that that cut, that caught me off guard but i feel like i've kind of been overly inundated with it in stories whether it's books or movies where it's now you sort of expect there to be a twist. It's never just like, okay, we think it's this person. Now, how do we figure out how to put the pieces together of what they did? Or how do we figure out the pieces together of, you know, convicting them or they, they got away with it, but they did it so well. How do we do that now? It's kind of just like, oh, well, this person is obviously the one who did it. So we got to put it together. Oh, wait, no, it's someone completely out of left field over here. And we don't really, we're supposed to be just sort of caught off guard by that. You know, you take in the twist and that sort of serves as a stand-in for like a satisfying conclusion or like a satisfying arc of storytelling right I think. yeah and i mean like so if if ama was just like left in sort of this like post-abusive state where her sister is taking care of her it doesn't explain any of her behavior like toward her friends or toward her sister or anything like that so like that would be it would have been a complete deficiency in the way the character was written if that was, you know, what was going to happen. So it was very obvious, you know, that it, eventually something involving Ama was going to come around. The other thing that I think was really, that made it really obvious was that it, it was really hard to, to buy the excuse that the Adora was the murder of these two girls. Right. So like the, you can understand the, like, you know, Munchausen's by proxy or whatever, um, Mm -hmm. you know, that she had with, with her daughter. And then, you know, the way that Camille didn't respond, why she was treated that way, those kind of things, you know, given her abuse by her mother, then make sense. Like with, within the character, the way that she was written, but the, then to go outside the family and murder these two other girls, or even like the biting the baby reference, you know, from when Camille was young, like those, like concepts didn't feel like they were true to character. Whereas, you know, Ama was, as you said, very clearly a sociopath, you know, throughout where, and, you know, you just, you just knew that that was what's going to happen. And I don't know about you. And and maybe it is like that, that whole like sort of trope has been played out too much in, in movies and video games and books um, that we come to expect it. But like, I have a, a talent or a curse, probably the latter where like anytime, you know, we're getting set up for, you know, with this red herring, um, I, I always smell that coming in some way, shape or form. And I usually am able to call exactly the way that it's going to happen. Do you, do you do that as well? Or is that strange? Um, no, I don't think that's particularly strange. I think that is a natural sort of, 
development after again when you're kind of over inundated with that sort of style of telling a mystery or a crime or a type of whodunit story that you're kind of just you you know the first few times that you experience that sort of uh that sort of technique it, it can be effective but then every time it's just i i feel like the ways that that people use to sort of set that up because the the problem with doing the whole like twist it's this person is it can't just be it's wholly unsatisfying if it's like it's a twist and it's some random person that had no foreshadowing but like that's the only you know that's the only way i think you can truly completely blindside somebody right is if it's just something or someone completely unexpected completely unrelated in what's in in whatever way but that's completely unsatisfying as well so the way that you would have to do it you know is you have to use some foreshadowing you have to use some things that are dropped in there as kind of like opportunities for people to go back and go ah these were the clues i didn't see but rarely have i experienced in like you said movies or video games or books or anything like that that those type of nuggets or clues are done subtly enough to sort of create that element at the end where you're genuinely caught off guard I feel like I feel like it's just kind of the nature now. Like anytime I'm watching this, I'm like, oh, this person did it. This person hundred percent. It's like, what really? I'm like, yeah, I mean, look at this thing. Like, why would the why would they do this? Like, why would they do that? Like, why is this included? This is included because it, it allows someone to go, aha, later on when, you know, the pieces connect, right? Right, right. Anytime they do like a bait and switch, like, oh, this is the bad guy, and then but really, no, it was his secretary the whole time because, you know, it's it, it's all the clues are there and it's it's very hard and I don't I, I don't know not to comment on like level of you know attention or, or any of this stuff but it feels like as a writer or as a producer of, of film or anything like that like obviously in order to have that sort of feeling where you um, can sort of lace of breadcrumbs for people to pick on or, or to pick up on, you're kind of creating it for sort of a, a very broad spectrum of people, right? Mm-hmm. So you're like, okay, yeah. I don't want just like you have to know the background or you have to be like a sociologist or a psychologist to pick up on these type of clues and to understand that this person is not behaving right and that they hide something like that. You you kind of create it so that anybody who's watching this can kind of pick up on those tells. And the, the problem is, is when you create something that anybody can pick up on, you know, if you're well versed enough in these sorts of things it just is like punching you in the face obvious like it 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 no longer becomes like a subtlety it just becomes like a deficiency in the storytelling because you go oh well it's like this is clearly what's going to happen so my level of enjoyment now in in like taking in this event just goes down so immensely so i don't think that you have a special gift i think you're just smart (laughs) (laughs) oh I mean, it's the long and short of that. Fair. That, all that, all that's come around to compliment you. But it, I, I also, I, I will say, like it, it kind of sucks because it takes the takes the wind out of the sails of, of books like this, right? Because on one hand, you have you know this sort of like psychological thriller, and you have all this trauma going on, um, you know, with the sort of three chief women in in this book, um, mm-hmm. and then. You know, you have the the mystery, the, the who done it, the the murder portion of this, um, and that is just like totally eliminated from the equation, um, just because to me it just seemed very obvious where this where this was going to go, 
you know, the Adora being accused portion of that, you know, aside, I didn't, didn't necessarily see that coming, but it was very clear to me that Ama was ultimately the one responsible. However the hell we get there, it doesn't matter. Like clearly sure. to me, she murdered like it just, yeah, it, it was, it was obvious, but, but then you do have the other aspects. You have the, um, the aspects of, you know, self-harm, you know, self-mutilation, cutting, however you want to, you want to phrase that, uh, you know, you have the, uh, abuse, you do have the, um, Munch, what's it, Munchausen's, am I saying that Munchausen's right? by proxy, by proxy. Yes. so, um, you have that, you have the, the trauma of, you know, losing a, a sister and a daughter at a young age, um, you've got all the, you know, sort of micro drama, if you will, of, uh, just the social politics, you know, in the small town between all these groups of women and interesting, like men are almost entirely excluded from the narrative, um, with the exception of Alan just is there at points. And then obviously you have the out of town detective. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, they play very minor roles in the overarching, you know, narrative of the story in the heart of everything. Um, but so then, you know, if you exclude the sort of murder mystery portion of this, you're left with kind of all the traumatic elements. And mm. I, I don't know how you felt about that, but I didn't necessarily appreciate the way that she approached all of that. I felt like um, I felt like there was too much going on in order to really make any of it feel effective. Um, so like I, I had a hard time feeling for, um, Camille and, you know, her, her self harm, um, because of everything else that was actively going on. Um, I didn't really, um, get into the, you know, Munchausen stuff because, you know, of the way that the murder story was progressing at the point where that was starting to, you know, uh, unwind. And I just, I really struggled, I think with the sheer volume of stuff that she tried to pump into the book as far as trauma is concerned. And I wondered if you had any thoughts about all of that. Yeah. I will say there was, there was a lot of layering of, there were a lot of points in this book where it it felt unfocused because of that, because there were so many, kind of ideas that are trying to be layered here in terms of trauma and like multifaceted trauma or multi-generational trauma Mm -hmm. and that being kind of layered in with everything that was going on with the actual investigation of the murder and and with Camille just sort of dealing with that and dealing with the trauma and kind of like going back through her own memories historically and dealing with all that it it was a lot and I think it definitely had points in the book where it was a little bit too unfocused and yeah, I, I did feel like it was tough at points to really sort of take that all in. Now, how much of that I attribute to that and how much of that I can attribute to, again, a lot of these issues, whether it's, you know, if you've had abusive parents, right. Or Munchausen mm-hmm. by proxy, or if you've engaged in self-harm or anything like that, I imagine people that have actually, suffered or or been a part of those sorts of things i imagine this was a very powerful type of uh book for them right in the sense of pulling those things back and sort of seeing that portrayed in our in our protagonist the problem with with i guess my own experience in reading that is i've never really 
suffered from any instances like that. Thankfully, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I did not have uh, an abusive household. I'm glad that I've never had to resort to, uh, to self-harm or anything like that. But I am sure that a lot of what I thought kind of like bogged down or at least gummed up sort of the engine for driving this book forward. I'm sure that others who experienced those sorts of things probably appreciated sort of that, um, reflection on the, on sort of the long lasting effects or sort of the, the, the psychological effects that those sorts of things have on people. Yeah. And I, I think it's hard to, it's hard to write about some of those, those things like in a way that I, I think is honest, um, to the situation. Right. And so the way that, that I think really good writing works. And, and I know that this is, this is a bit of like, you know, sort of a genre fiction and it's not meant to be literary in, in a, in, in the same sure. sort of sense, but like, the themes I think that, you know, she tries to pull in here and the threads I think that, that she's trying to kind of weave into her story are far too complicated and deserve, you know, far more exploration than a single book, you know, provides. I think that if we probably went and watched, you know, the HBO series, my guess is this is the kind of thing that makes a much better screenplay because you can introduce, you know, elements of like flashback without, you know, necessarily breaking your your narrative structure in the same way that um, that she was, you know, building in this in this book. Um, or you can have these these asides with characters, um, you know, to sort of flesh out like uh, I like I said, I never really felt the like the danger of Camille like cutting. I know it was explained a lot and it was you know it was presented to us quite a bit but it just never uh really had translate well it just didn't have teeth a visual medium yeah like there just wasn't it didn't uh, there was no heightened sense of risk or emotion involved with that and i think Mm -hmm. that that is sort of the way that i felt about all of the traumatic elements that flynn tried to to weave throughout this and i just think that the form didn't do the amount of stuff justice. I don't know how many different ways I could, I could say that, but, um, you know, I do appreciate, you know, her attempt to, to kind of, you know, do that. And this, there's this whole like sub genre, um, of like chick lit or chick literature. Have you, are you familiar with, with that term? Uh, I'm not. No. So it'd be like, I, you know, like I'm just a caveman reader. Remember? Yeah. I mean, so it'd be like, Stuff like, uh, uh, what Bridget Jones diary, uh, sisterhood of the traveling pants or whatever that, you know, that is, it's like, you know, literature where you have, or I don't want to just say literature, but you know, books where you have, uh, you know, like a female protagonist with, you know, sort of female problems and, and, and trauma, you know, related to that. Um, and, and it's really not something that's like marketed to you and I. Right. Um, and so uh, there's probably a little bit of a disconnect for you and I as readers where like, mm-hmm. you know, if, if our, you know, f- wives or wife and fiance had read this, they may have a bit of a different, you know, reaction to it, especially maybe like the mother sister stuff. You know, I'm sure there's like dynamics there that, you know, are, are different than having brothers or, you know, being a man and having a sister. 
Um, you know, so it's just there, there's definitely, I think a loss of translation too, because, you know, we're not necessarily the, the target audience. And, and I think her, you know, narrative decisions to basically exclude male characters are very obvious, you know, who her, her target audience is. And I don't think Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a bad thing, you know, like I didn't pick up this book and feel like, uh, this is, this is not, you know, for me. I, I still think that there were, you know, it was an interesting story, um, you know, but some things were lost on me, right? I mean, like taking a step back, it's been a minute since we've had just a straight up sort of piece of fiction. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about Flynn, I guess, as a writer in general, just outside of the story, outside of, you know, what we may think is a little bit bloated in terms of like all all the things going on? How did you feel about her as a writer? Because I'm really interested to get your take because I personally i i don't i i I don't know like i i turned through this book really quickly Mm -hmm. i think it was as far as like readability goes it was it was really good and i know it was a book that was kind of like laden with a lot of imagery but i i just never really felt like so deeply engaged with that imagery and i don't know if that's just um a part of me as a reader and the things that i normally kind of like engage in as far as um books when they sort of try to go off into like very descriptive and sort of abstract languages and abstract ideas. But I, I'm not sure what it was exactly with this book, but I never really got caught up in all of that. Like I, yeah. I followed along just fine. I had no issues with reading and, and I think it was a really effective sort of uh, pacing and all that through the writing. I no issues, no issues like that with the writing, but I just never really found myself sort of engaging a lot with a lot of the abstractness that normally um, is kind of that like pull point for me when it comes to specific writers. Yeah. I, I, I found, you know, obviously some of the narrative elements that I've already talked about to be a bit distracting, but kind of like you, I very early on noticed that Flynn had a tendency to stay in the sort of like thought and emotional realm of the character, um, as opposed to, you know, being in the more tactile um, realm of, of what Camille was going through. And, you know, just like you, I'm, I'm more drawn to, you know, sort of the, the place in a, in a book and um, less so to just sort of the like emotional exposition, which, you know, she does very well. um, But, you know, really never draws, very far out of, um, you know, to describe a scene or, you know, describe a house, you know, for instance, you know, she were describing the, uh, being in her, uh, mother's bedroom for the first time. We didn't get so much what the bedroom was, how it felt, what it looked like, but, uh, felt as in like a tactile sense, but, more of like the emotional, what did it feel or what did it mean to her to be in that bedroom for the first time? And, uh, I, I struggle with that sort of style. You know, Flynn obviously had an acclaimed book, two books later. Um, I, I have no idea if how similar her narrative style in that book is compared to this one. Um, but I would be a bit surprised if she didn't evolve kind of past the, choices that that she made in this book so I guess long story short I didn't I didn't love 
um, her writing style. Um, you know, but I think that she operated fairly well in the style that she chose, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that's fair. I, like I said, I just, I, it's, you know, we've had several books that we've read where we just, you look at the book or you're like trying to get through it and you're just sort of like, ugh, it's kind of like, there's a barrier to me being able to enjoy this book. And it directly stems from the choices that the, that the author has made. Yeah. Right. And, and I'm not saying that that, that, that's not, that's not what exists in this book. I think that, um, I think that she does a really good job of sort of creating the narrative, pacing the narrative out, uh, you know, aside from the few mm-hmm. points where it becomes a little bit too layered, but for the most part, I think it's really well paced. I think it's really well, uh, written in a sense of like readability and like choices of, of, you know, the, the, the words that you're using, everything like that. Like, I think that was, that was fine. Yeah. It just, there was a lot of, like you said, sort of emotional exposition. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas normally like the, or not exposition, but at least sort of like emotional tangents are what we kind of get on as far as like really sort of descriptive passages. Whereas normally, I don't know, I guess that would be more uh, resigned for, you know, where you are, what's going on, sort of taking a moment to sort of describe this. But I, you know, on the, on the, on the other hand, this book really, it's kind of just, you know, the scenes that you're at the place you're at, it's just kind of like a grimy little town. You know, it's not like you're, you're taking a, a lot of time to just go into great overarching detail about the physical sort of elements around you, the the sort of mystery elements. There's mm-hmm. there's not a lot really to go off there. This is kind of a a lot of the action in this book, so to say, takes place in Camille's head or in right. the heads of of characters. So I can understand, you know, the 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 difficulty in trying to, you know take that element as well from just saying like, okay, I'm sort of describing these elements of the story, but so much of the story takes place in my protagonist's head that now we have to sort of create this additional layer, create this additional level of exposition on it. And like, again, I I think that can be a pretty weighty and difficult task. Um, I just think that the way that it was done ultimately just didn't really, I don't know. It didn't really resonate all that well with me. Yeah. And, I, I agree with everything that you said, you know, about the readability too. Um, I, I, Flynn does a good job of, of, you know, ending her chapters kind of on that, that hook so that, you know, you, you want to go, ah, you know, not quite tired enough to go to bed. I'll, I'll just read the next chapter. Um, sure. and so, you know, she's, she has that practice down, um, to, to a T even in, in her debut novel. And, you know, there was no point where I was, like, bored reading it. Um, I just sort of wanted... I wanted to connect with the book more than I did. Um, mm-hmm. and, like, on an emotional level, right? And I, I felt weird that, like, I I didn't care as much as I wanted to about, you know, her dynamic with her mom or, you know, her self-mutilation or her dead sister, uh, you know, all these, or even just, I I think the one thing that, that really did catch me more than anything was like her recklessness. Like the night that she went out with Ama and, you know, and was tripping balls on the way back to her house and got all banged up, you know, um, walking back and all that stuff like that, honestly, more than anything else in the book was the, was the thing that like hooked me where I was like, wow, you're, like you're off the rails. You've got some serious stuff going on. 
and like, you know, what's going to happen with all this. And then it just sort of like nothing happens, you know, Adora yeah. seems to just like ignore the whole episode and buy whatever excuses. And like Ama never really uses that to like her advantage the way that you would expect it, you know, to be used by somebody, somebody who's so manipulative. And so there, there are these little like flashes where, you know, I, I was really interested and really hooked, but then they just kind of nothing happened. Um, and that was, yeah. I think that was, that was disappointing. So I, yeah. Do you want to want to get into ratings? <laughs> we can, if there's nothing else that you want to talk about as far as characters, anything like that. I mean, there, I, I, I could talk about it, but I mean, I feel like what's, what's there to say about characters? I mean, uh, Adora was aloof and, you know, creepy there, there, there wasn't really much development of her, um, uh-huh. I mean, I, I don't know if if you feel any different, but she just felt like that sort of like disappointed mother throughout, and it was just it felt like a reused archetype to me. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, what was Ama interesting no, to you? Like, no, I don't think. I mean, again, yeah, Camille is probably the only like character that has sort of a facet. I I wouldn't say that the characters are one dimensional, but they're very archetype. Yeah, like they're they very much. It's like this is exactly what I would expect how this character would do to to be written, right? Yeah. Given what you're trying to what you're trying to accomplish with their position in the novel, it's exactly. I don't think any character was written surprisingly. I, I think outside of Camille, Camille had some some sort of you know surprising elements there, but you know she's your protagonist. Hopefully that you would spend the majority of your time sort of developing her as a character. Uh, but yeah, everyone else just felt very um, as expected. Yeah, I, I, there was nothing really that struck me as kind of like breaking new ground, or not even that it has to break new ground, but no real like wrinkles in in characterization mm-hmm. of the the rest of the people in this book, and that is a little disappointing as far as like reading. I mean, it certainly you can get sort of intrigued into the things going on with Camille, but. Any time that you're sort of presented with other people in the book, you're just kind of like, well, this is who they are. I'm not really expecting this sort of characterization to change. There wasn't really any element of evolving, uh, at least, it, it seemed, throughout the book. It, it seemed like everyone kind of was the same at the beginning and the same at the end. Yep. Except for Camille, obviously. Yeah. So, but yeah, we can get into ratings. Uh, this was this was my pick, so I'll go first. I I struggle with this one because there was there was some there was some stuff in here that I that I genuinely thought was pretty good um, enough so that I think I'm gonna keep it. Okay. However, I'm gonna put it on the bottom shelf because I don't think it's gonna be a universal recommendation for me. I definitely think I'm gonna recommend it to like Sarah because I certainly think she will get. A different perspective out of this book a lot more uh out of this book than i did just by the nature of her relationships you know her experiences with you know having a sister a mom that sort of like you know household dynamic mm-hmm. um but it's definitely not a universal recommendation for me but i think there is enough in here that i would be open to possibly going back and doing a reread just to see because as you know as i went through the first time it felt like there were there were a lot of breadcrumbs that obviously pointed at Ama, but I would be curious to go back and read through and see, um, see if I can trace a few of the more subtle things perhaps that I missed. I mean, there, I'm sure there were things that I missed the first read through that I'd be interested to go through. So I'm going to keep it, but I'm going to put it on the bottom shelf. Okay. 
Um, so I think that like books for me kind of have to do one of two things. And one is, is like a very heavy thing where in, in some way they have to like, you know, teach me something about like, you know, the human condition, humanity. Right. And there are so many opportunities in this book, you know, whether it's, you know, the mother daughter relationships, sister relationship, the sister stepsister relationship, the, uh, self harm, all the tr- all the trauma, all the small town stuff. Like there's so many little things in this book where there's so many opportunities to enlighten somebody about you know what it's like to be in in those circumstances or to rise above those circumstances or sometimes to just be you know completely swallowed by them. And I feel like the book you know didn't do that. The other thing that I look for if you know it's not going to teach you something about humanity is just to be something that's just fun, something that's just entertaining, you know, to pick up like, you know, Hitchhikers is a great example. And this Mm. book really didn't hit on either of those things for me. So it's not even a bottom shelf for me, but it's, it's a donate with, you know, no prejudice whatsoever. Um, Yeah. I just think that, you know, it's, it's not anything that, you know, I, I find entertaining. I just don't find, you know, a whole lot of value in it. I'd pick something else up by, uh, by Flynn for sure. I'm, I'd probably check out the mini series, um, you know, or watch the gone girl movie before, you know, I picked up another one of her books because I feel like the way that she wrote this book, she's more of a screenwriter than she is a, uh, a novelist, but, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a donate for me. Okay. Well, do you want to briefly talk about what we got going on next episode before we kind of get into the the things the sort things. of on the forefront <laughs> for the podcast? Yes. So the next episode, uh, we are going to be doing our movie episode. So um, last time we kind of talked a little bit about what we were going to do and you know do kind of a best worst movie adaptations. I think we've kind of pared it down a little bit. Uh, to try to stay more in like the books that we've read. Um, I know we'll probably talk a little bit about other stuff, um, some adaptations, but um, so I've picked three movies that I'm going to watch and discuss for the next episode. Kind of talk about the book first, the movie, you know, what, what went better or worse, um, you know, in, in each thing. So I'm going to watch the big sleep, uh, the newest version of inherent vice, which I believe was 2014. And then uh, Hitchhikers um, as well. That's good. That's a good spread. Yeah. I, I think you went for a, a pretty good spread there. Yeah. I also am going to do three. And we did decide beforehand that we wanted to have one overlap so that we could, I guess, spend a little bit, I guess, more time debating on that one. So I'm also going to be doing Inherent Vice. Uh, and in addition to those, I'm going to be doing True Grit. See, I've seen the I've seen the newer one. I think okay. I'm gonna go back and do the original uh, with John Wayne in it. Excellent. I guess I can kind of incorporate both of them. But uh, yeah, I've never seen the original with John Wayne, so I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and watch that one and probably rewatch the the new one as well. And then my third one is gonna be Grapes of Wrath. I'm going really Ooh. like 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 heartwarming, like yeah. up you know uplifting vibes here with my movie selection. So okay, so yeah, Grapes Grapes of Wrath, Inherent Vice, and True Grit. That's exciting. Uh, and then I, I was looking at uh, when I was doing this. Uh, so Apple TV Plus is doing a foundation TV series uh, oh that's Lord. on hold because of COVID. Uh, I'd forgotten uh, that uh, Gentleman in Moscow is going to be a thing. 
Um, but that Ooh, that that st- that I can that that's intriguing. Yeah, I haven't uh, I haven't seen a date on that, and I haven't looked looked lately. I just kind of figure the world is falling apart, or at least maybe not the world, <laughs> but the U.S. our our part of the world. Well, soon to be just my part of the world, but yeah, for for real. Um, so yeah, next episode is going to be the movie episode, and then we're going to go on semi-permanent hiatus small little break of a few months probably we have some uh we have some big life stuff happening over uh over the next few weeks and months and uh just kind of figured that it'd be better to you know not continue to get together in weird schedules and and uh try to push an episode out every two weeks you'll have 57 episodes uh by the time we release the next one to give you like a good time to just go back and you know maybe read something that you haven't read and and listen to the, the older podcasts and then you know hopefully later this year um uh, you know we'll be able to pick up the normal pace and you know continue on as normal sure. so once once we get some kinks worked out absolutely but yeah I, I i guess we'll start on on my standpoint obviously i don't know if i've i can't recall I, i'm assuming i mentioned it on the podcast before but uh my fiance and i are expecting our uh, second child and he's going to be due, honestly, any day now. <laughs> and maybe not any day now. Maybe that's a little bit exaggeratory, but probably within the next few weeks or so. So that being the process that it is for those of our listeners that have had kids or have a baby, understand that that's probably going to be a little bit of a hectic process uh, for myself. So I'm already kind of in the the sphere of, of like, yeah, I, I definitely can take some time off to, to focus mainly on that. Not that the podcast takes an inordinate amount of time, but just... You know, even this last episode being late is related to a lot of issues stemming from, you know, we had to go to the hospital. We had to do a lot of this stuff when we were normally going to be recording and then things kind of got pushed back just because it all sort of fell out of whack. But but yeah, so that, you know, that alone, maybe not entirely would cause a a degree of hiatus. But the fact that, you know, not not entirely uh, not entirely, you know happening at the exact same time but basically happening at the exact same time with you yeah and and to be fair uh the you know pregnancy stuff over the last few weeks wasn't the only reason for for the delay of the podcast uh so my wife and i uh are in the middle of moving to switzerland um so this picked a great time picked a great time right in the middle of covid (laughs) yeah right right amazing time smack middle of covid in the middle of a a very heated election uh yeah definitely a weird time to uh be piecing out from the united states but yeah we're uh we left dallas uh i guess two weeks ago now um and uh have moved temporarily to uh rural wisconsin where my my parents have their retirement house and uh we're basically holed up here until my visa comes through uh, for Switzerland, so we can uh, we can go over there. My wife and I are going to be working at a uh, boarding school, um, and so we'll be house parents, and uh, it's it's going to be a fantastic experience. We're both you know really excited about it. We've you'll have kids as well, but slightly older, so we'll, we'll be we'll both be going through some some growing pains. Yeah, yeah. Well, they'll they'll range from like. 10 to 19 so yeah well just moderately older than uh than your guys but two and newborn 
but yeah, so we've uh, those two things obviously commingling. We're we're it's going to be weird to figure out you know how to record with a seven hour time difference. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of kinks that are going to need to be worked out, and that's why we're giving ourselves a nice bit of time to just because what'll probably happen if if I'm thinking correctly is we'll probably you know if we say like okay you know we'll announce maybe three months from now is when you know we'll put another episode out well we'll probably have been spending the whole month prior to that like figuring out you know logistics and, oh, yeah. and figuring out what times work best and all this other stuff so but even still that's you know that's pretty low on the priority thing for either of us at the moment so yeah so it's just a natural time a nice time to just take a little break we both got some stuff and uh yeah It'll be it'll be it'll be nice to to take a break and to focus on you know our families and our things and then it'll be nice to come back because I'm sure I'm gonna be itching to to get back after it when when all is said and done so for sure and I mean we've we've taken you know what a, a month long hiatus before um, and you know but basically we've been doing this since it was conceptualized in late 2017 so in you know some way shape or form we've been you know, planning or doing the podcast for basically the last three years, um, almost nonstop. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it'll be good for us to, to take a step back and, you know, like you said, spend time with, you know, the people that we need to outside of the podcast, but to just kind of evaluate, you know, how we want to maybe make some improvements, you know, going forward. I met somebody randomly this, this week, um, who listens to the podcast and, you know, everybody that, that I've talked to has had, you know, good things to say, but, you know, there are things we could always do better. Um, so we'll we'll use this time to kind of think through some of that stuff, too, um, and, you know, hopefully come back with an even more exciting podcast here in a few months. So, yeah, so that is the that is the big plan ski going forward. So we got one more episode. It'll be a little bit of a more relaxing, fun kind of go watch some movies and talk about books and movies and the differences between and how we feel about all that and then yeah we'll take a little break ski and we'll get back after it tbd uh early winter probably this year absolutely yeah when i when i'm snowed into to a mountain in switzerland i'm gonna be itching to read and podcast for sure when you got nowhere else to go well i'll just i'm gonna i'm gonna read ahead of time while i'm on you know overnight baby duty for cluster feeding so cluster feeding oh cluster feeding apparently is just something where they'll uh you know they they're going through a growth spurt and so they basically eat like every 15 minutes they'll need like a bottle of some sort so the hell what 15 minutes or something like that i don't know but it's a lot of eating it's a lot of baby eating it's it's growth spurts it's a lot of being up it's a lot of eating and it's gonna be fun especially so since well you know we got a toddler already so man we're doubling down well, next time my wife asks why I'm snacking between meals, I'm going to tell her I'm cluster feeding and see how that goes. You're just growing through a growth spurt. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a sound strategy. For sure. All right. Well, thank you for listening to this episode. Next episode is going to be books that became movies. Book movie hoedown. Book movie hoedown. I like that even more. Thank you for listening. And until next time.